Do not remember the former things. Forget the former things. Behold, I do a new thing. And he asked him, do you have eyes to perceive it? Do you even have eyes to see this thing that I'm doing? It's springing up all around you. Do you notice it? So what God was doing is God is strategically, not only did he have Ezekiel speaking into the children of God, but he had Daniel speaking to a Babylonian king. An evil king. Because God had a higher purpose. And the amazing thing about Daniel is that even though he was right there amongst these pagans, he didn't live like them. He didn't eat their food. He didn't worship their gods. Three times a day, he would, unashamed, he would worship out on his balcony. The whole city could see him glorifying God while they were worshiping their gods. And we all know the story. He eventually was persecuted by the king that he was put under and thrown into the lion's den. It culminated there. But this isn't the, it is the end of the story. And he said, I'm not going to bow to your idols. I'm not going to do that. And right there, God sets him free, miraculously shuts the mouths of the lions. And then it all ends with the Babylonian king saying, we will worship the God of Daniel. Now, I believe in the body of Christ, God has placed Ezekiel's, but he's also placed Daniel's. And for some reason, we compartmentalize certain Daniels. We're okay with Daniels in business. We're okay with Daniels that, that are plumbers. We're okay with, with Daniels who, um, who are real estate agents. We're okay with the Daniels who, um, you know, who work as a barista at a coffee shop. When somebody all of a sudden has a Daniel calling on their life in music, then all of a sudden we get shaky. We get freaked out. And we say, why aren't you in Ezekiel? Why aren't you in Ezekiel? Why don't you write worship songs? Because worship is a popular genre now. And that's okay. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that worship is a popular genre. But it's a popular genre in the church now. It wasn't too popular 20, 30 years ago. Now it is very popular. And I love that. I think it's awesome. And I love worship. I love the presence of God. But God has called people, not only in business, but he's called people in the arts industry as well, to be Daniels. And you can't force someone to be who God hasn't called them to be. And so my encouragement to you, Emily, and to anyone else here who feels this calling, is that God's called you to be a Daniel, to go into and sing songs into culture over people, and what he wants to do is fill your mind so much with the truth of the Word of God, and fill you so much with his overwhelming love for people, and you already have it, you already have an extreme compassion for people, and that's, that's the love of God, and as he fills it up and marries it with his Word, everything that comes out of you, every storytelling thing that comes out of you will have a, the hope and truth of God yeah. embedded in it. Yes. Yes. And when people hear it, they'll be changed. We don't tell the plumber to go start a Christian plumbing business and only, only fix Christians' houses. We tell them to go be Jesus to everyone, to people who probably will never... And they, you can't tell me that some plumbers don't walk into houses that smell terrible and that the customer's cussing at them the whole time probably has something terrible on the TV 
We don't tell them to run out in fear before that sin jumps off on you. We tell them, be Jesus. Welcome them. Love them because they might never come to your church. And you might be the only Jesus they ever see. So we need to be sending our, that's a side note, we need to be sending our musicians and, and artists out and empowering them to go in into culture if that's what they feel they're called to do instead of, you know, trying to force them to be something else that they're not called to be. Um, but I believe here this morning, I, I really felt by the Holy Spirit that God is, um, in the Old Testament, we know that God uh, God would, would dwell inside of a, a temple or, or the Ark of the Covenant represents is where the glory of God would dwell. And if you read any of the Old Testament, you'll read that, that the, the tent of Moses, that God had instructed Moses to build this tent or this tabernacle for God to come in and dwell. And there were all of these sacrifices they had to do, all these things they had to do. Uh, and they had to follow up by the letter perfectly or people would literally drop dead. Um, and But the, the purpose was that the glory of God, that the f- tangible presence of God would, would fall and descend and dwell in that place. And they would offer up worship to God. They would encounter God. And, and, and the, 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 the tool as well was, was for forgiveness of sins for the people, for the children of Israel. And it would be rolled back into the year. And, but this is how God had relationship with it. And, and it seemed like through, over, throughout the Old Testament, there were times where God would, some people had a closer walk with God or a, a more intimate relationship than others. People like David or people like Moses who saw God, God said, I'll let my goodness pass before you and held him with his actual hand into a rock. And so it's almost like there were special people that God had called and chosen through over the generations to be prophets or to be teachers uh, and to the children of Israel or into culture throughout that time. But when Jesus came, he said something amazing. Uh, he was walking and he saw the temple and he said, you tear down this temple and I will raise it back up in three days. And the, the Pharisees laughed at him. They thought he was talking about the physical building. And it says that the disciples later remember when Jesus rose again, that he was talking about his own body, but not just his own body. He was talking about you and I, because the Bible says that Jesus was the firstborn among many, that through one son, there might be many daughters and sons. So Jesus risen from the grave is our inheritance. That's what we're called to look like, is like him, the risen Jesus. Risen Jesus. That's what we're called to look like. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you've been worshiping this way for so long, but, but I'm about to make my home inside of you. I'm going, my temple will be the human heart. That'll be my temple. I'll actually come and live and dwell inside of you. It says that later. Paul wrote that. Paul said that God no longer d- desires to write his, his law on tablets of stone by ink, but he wants to write his word on the tablet of human hearts, written not, not by ink, but by the Spirit of God. So I believe, so, and, and then you also have, uh, there was a moment where Jesus was walking, and he's, he comes into the temple uh, to pray, to spend time with God, to, or to, to read the word, and as he's walking up to the temple, he sees that they are selling and using all these things, they're selling sheep and oxen, they basically turn the house of God into a marketplace. 
And they were buying and trading, and it was loud. It was confusing. It was all these. It was dirty. There's all these things going on. Uh, you know, money exchanging hands. It turned it into a place of commerce. It wasn't a place of worship. And Jesus makes a whip, uh, which had to take a long time. So he's very thought out about this. It wasn't just like quick rage. Like it was just. It was very methodical. And so he sat down and he made a whip. A whip. And he goes into this place and he drives out all the oxen. He drives out all the sheep. And then he says something amazing. He says, you've turned my, my father's house into a den of thieves and robbers, but my father's house was always meant to be a house of prayer. What Jesus came to restore when he rose again and is seated at the right hand of the father was not just my forgiveness of sins and my eternal destination in heaven. That's part of it. That's a part of my inheritance in Christ. But my inheritance in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, is the beginning. And my destination that I'm heading towards is heaven and eternity. And I have to keep my eyes on eternity because it gives me perspective about here. Heaven's very important. Forgiveness of my sins. I remember it every single day. The goodness of God's forgiveness towards me. His mercies that are new every single morning. And He washed and He separated my sin from me as far as the east is from the west. Yes, that's important. But there's a part in the middle and and what is it for the purpose of the forgiveness and the cleansing of the blood of Jesus is so that now we become living houses of prayer houses of worship where the glory of God comes and dwells inside of you Jesus said about the Holy Spirit to the disciples he said you know him and he's 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 with you but he will be in you. This is right before he ascended, or right before he went to the cross. He said, yeah, you know the Holy Spirit because you feel him around me, but you don't have him inside of you yet. And when he comes inside of you, then you'll change the world. He was encouraging them. And he tells them, go up to the room. And, 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 and when he rose again, he said, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, comes in you, and then you can go out and heal the sick and cast out demons and preach the gospel and live this overcoming lifestyle that I've shown you for the past three years and live the life I've called you to live. But you can't do it just off of the experience of living with me. You, I have to come and live inside of you. You can't just be around me. I've got to be inside of you. And Jesus said something epic about the Holy Spirit. He said that, he said that come unto me all who are thirsty and I will give you living water. For as the scripture said, anyone who believes in me, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. Our destiny in Christ is that we would become a temple of worship, a temple of prayer, that actually a house of communion and intimacy with God 24 hours a day. That you don't just have to wait for this moment where we come together and worship God together. And this is awesome. You know, what I love about church is that and, and this, is, this is what I love about my, my home church, Celebration of Life, and, and being, at, being in worship, is that there are times when I get busy, I get distracted, I get worried, full of fear and anxiety from just the problems that I face. Everybody in here, if you turn to somebody next to you and ask them, I'm sure everybody's got 10 or 15 different problems in their life that, are, that can be a cause of serious stress and anxiety and fear. All of us do. And so those things don't magically disappear when you become a Christian. And so... You sometimes I'll go through the week and I'll just get so overwhelmed by busyness 
And the awesome thing about being faithful in the local church is that when I come in here, it reminds me, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I can give my stuff to Jesus. And he can give me a peace that surpasses my understanding. He can give me compassion for my family, for the people that I'm over familiar with. He can remind me of their destiny in Christ. He can change the way I see myself. He can forgive me of my sins. He can fill me with grace that, that impart, that, that leads me into change and repentance and transformation. He's here with me. He's fighting all my battles. He's, I, he, wherever I go, He's with me. And this is why the body of Christ is important. But I don't think it was, it's ever God's intention that I forget in the first place. Obviously, God has us here to have relationship, community, and fellowship with one another, to encourage one another to not give up, to keep going. That, that anything that the Bible says, uh, that it, you know, don't be discouraged when you face temptations and trials, things of the like, because you know that your brothers and sisters in Christ are all facing the same thing. So you find fellowship and union with each other where you say, yes, we're facing these same issues, but we're also, we're, we have God's, we're, God's the captain of our salvation and we're fighting, fighting all of our battles and we're encouraging one another. But the whole purpose is, is that we don't forget so that when we come here, we can be an edification to one another. We can be a blessing to each other. God's, God's destiny is for, is for me to become a temple and for me to, and to, for me to know that every day, Monday, through Saturday, I can encounter His presence 24 hours a day. I don't have to wait till now. I can encounter God on the airplane when I'm flying over. I can encounter God in the dingy hotel room in the middle of nowhere. We were in the dingiest hotel last night, guys. It wasn't a hotel. It was a motel, and it was sketch. But right there in that sketchy motel that smelt damp, and that had a door about that thin, Anyone that just goes out into the world and just anyone from the street can just walk into my room. Right there in that room, I felt God's presence. And I could worship and lift up my voice and encounter God right there in that bed. God wants to be with you 24 hours a day. He wants to do such a work in our heart that we understand that we are actually the temple of the living God. The same spirit, think about that for a moment, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides inside of you and I. And just an encouragement, nine times out of ten, I do not feel it. We're not called to walk by feeling, but we're called to walk by faith. I'm so glad the Bible doesn't say walk by, don't walk by sight, walk by feeling. I'm so glad it doesn't say that, but walk by faith. And know what's awesome about faith is feelings follow faith. The more you stay in faith, you look to Jesus, the author of your faith. You don't even have to come up with faith on your own. You can look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You start, you get the Bible. And so I want to, I want to leave you with something really practical. This is something that is very practical, that is, that has just brought so much edification and life to my walk with Jesus and to my marriage with me and my wife. We've both encountered God so much this last year just by making this a daily part of our life. And it is, it's so simple, it's so easy, but I'm telling you, it will change the course of your life. And it's, it's simply meditating on the Word of God. Meditating on the promises of God. The Bible says that Jesus 
was the Word made flesh. Meaning, Jesus was the manifested Word of God. All of God's promises, all of His goodness, everything He's spoken was wrapped up in and is wrapped up in Jesus. And when Jesus came into the world, He is the living Word, walking. And so, He revealed the invisible God. Nobody knew what God looked like until Jesus came. And He demonstrated God. The Bible says that we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When God first gave His word to the children of Israel, in Deuteronomy uh, 10.9, I believe it's 10.9 or somewhere, it's Deuteronomy, God said, teach this to your children when they lie down at night, when they wake up in the morning, when they're seated with nothing to do, and when they're traveling by the way. The four most contemplative times of your day are when you lie down at night, when you wake up in the morning, when you're seated with nothing to do, and when you're traveling in your car from point A to point B. Those are the four most, those, we all have those moments in our day, those contemplative, deep thinking moments. And what God wants us to do is He actually wants to teach us how to meditate on His Word with the Holy Spirit. So, so God, we said it earlier in the Scripture that God no longer wants to write His Word on tablets of stone by ink, but He wants to write it on the tablet of our heart by the Spirit of God. So all throughout the Bible, we'll see the Holy Spirit and the Word of God kind of closely together. You'll see, it says, that and taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Oh, but that one always kind of confused me. I thought he said it was the Spirit, but it's the Word of God. They're one and the same. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He said he will teach you all things. He will remind you of every word I've spoken to you. Another scripture Jesus said to the disciples, he said, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Word of God. Jesus is is the living Word of God. And God wants to make us into manifested Word. He wants to make us into living examples of the Word of God. And the Bible says that in Christ Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. They're already yes in Christ for you and me. Yes for the healing. Yes for the financial miracle. Yes for provision. Yes for your future. Yes for for wholeness in your mind. Yes. It's all yes in Jesus. And then it says the next line. This is the coolest one. It's what makes the scripture awesome to me. He says, and through the Holy Spirit, we resound back our amen to God. You know what amen means? When you say amen, it just means I agree. I believe. I agree. God wants to make you and I walking amens all day long. Because God's already spoken it all in Jesus. And it's already accomplished in Jesus. So this faith that we have is not a blind faith like some atheists would believe it is. A blind faith. No, it's not blind. It's not, it's not a feeling and it's not blind. This faith is a faith that's grounded on the promises of God and the words that are coming from God's mouth. And all of the words that come from God's mouth are life. 
every word that he speaks is life. And every word that God speaks is true. It's truth. Every day when I wake up, my battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's not against circumstances or problems. But it's against the principalities and powers, which is the enemy. And all the enemy knows to do is lie. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not physical. They're not swords. When Peter picked up the sword, Jesus said, put down your sword. We don't fight like that. The weapons of our warfare are not physical, but they are mighty in the pulling down of strongholds. What what are strongholds? He just said strongholds are simply any lofty idea or lie of the enemy that raises its head against the knowledge of Jesus. Against the revelation of who Jesus has said he is and who we are in Christ. That's the truth. Every single day. No matter what I face, that's true. There might be other uh, other, uh, facts concerning my life, facts about my finances, facts about relationships, things that are going on. But I know the truth is that they're all yes and amen in Jesus. And the enemy wants to uh, populate or pollute our thought life with lies. And not just lies, he wants to flatline our thought life all day long so that lies can sneak in in the midst of just chaos and loud, loudness and noise. See, the only way you can spot a lie is if your mind is full of truth. Then you can easily spot the lie because your mind is so filled with truth that the lie becomes laughable and it becomes an opportunity to worship God whenever the enemy lies. So there's a a really cool scripture where Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says something epic. He says, he says, I am the shepherd and you are my sheep and my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. And he says, the shepherd enters in through the door, but the thief and the robber climbs in by another way. So it's this simple. Any thought that doesn't line up with the door Jesus is a thief and a robber. Any thought that climbs in by another way, it's not me, it's a thief and a robber who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so you just take the lie of the enemy and you flip it and use it as an opportunity to worship because the devil is a liar, the father of lies, and he says that Jesus said it's impossible for him to tell the truth. He cannot tell the truth. So anytime you, people come up and they go, man, you know, the devil's just been really speaking to me a lot lately. The devil keeps saying this. The devil, well, if you know it's the devil, flip it and worship God with it. And now every time the devil pokes you, you're worthless. You know, you're not going to make it. You know, your finances, are, nothing's going to really work out. You know, that, that bill, that, might, that thing might, you know, the enemy, blah, blah, blah. You just take it and you flip it and you go, you know, God, I thank you that every thought and every plan you have for me is to give me a future and a hope. Thank you, Jesus, that you're Jehovah Jireh, my provider, that if the lilies of the field are clothed and so beautiful and Solomon wasn't even, even clothed like them and they're here today and gone tomorrow, God, you will much more clothe me. If the birds of the air have food to eat every single day, they don't sow and they don't reap. I thank you, God, that you're going to feed me and my family. That I've never, The sons and daughters of God have never seen them lacking for bread. They've never lacked anything, God. So I'll seek first your kingdom today and its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto me and my family. And every time the devil pokes you, you worship. And he runs the risk of making you look more like Jesus every time he does it. 
So meditating, when I heard that word meditate growing up, I always thought of like crossing my legs, some form of yoga, doing my hands and humming. I didn't know what meditating meant. And it weirded me out. It's really simple. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Worrying is the devil's meditation. So the enemy, Jesus said, he does have a plan for your life. The enemy does. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. So when I worry about a situation, I'm taking my imagination and my creativity that God gave me, and I'm letting it run and letting it come in alignment with the enemy's plan for my life. And I'm thinking of all the terrible scenarios that could possibly happen in that relationship. All the terrible scenarios that could possibly happen in my finances or my future, things that aren't working out the way I thought they would. And I'm spinning out of control and worry. And what happens is if you, if you meditate long enough, your meditation will become substance. Meditation will become something tangible. Whatever you're meditating on. And if you're meditating on the enemy's lies, which is what worry is, if you meditate long enough, it becomes fear. The substance is fear, and your life is just dominated by fear. The atmosphere of your life, and all sorts of bad things come out of fear. You know, addiction, sin, pride, it all comes from that, springs out of that thing. Insecurity, anxiety, depression, loneliness, all that stuff. But then the opposite is true in the kingdom of God. When you meditate on God's word, what you're doing is you're taking the scripture... The Word of God, which when it's written down, it's Logos Word. So that means that it's just plainly written so that you can understand it and read it. And you can memorize it, and that's great. But we, our spirit man doesn't eat Logos. It eats Rhema Word. Rhema. Rhema means revelation or the revealing of God, where God reveals himself through his Word. And the only way that's possible is through the Holy Spirit. So God always wraps up everything as truth and revelation in relationship. Revelation comes through relationship with God. But it's not just relationship where I'm just kind of singing blindly and and just kind of, you know, hoping everything works out. God, I hope you that, I hope that you pay all my bills. And Lord, I hope that all these relationships work out. God, I hope that you really do have a good plan for my life. I really hope you do. Because all the songs I sing say they do. I guess I'll just sing all these songs over and over again. When I get discouraged, I'll just sing these songs. No, the problem is, if, if the only thing I know about God is just because of the songs that I'm singing, those aren't weapons. Good songs, good worship songs that are weapons are, are songs that are filled with the Word of God. And that's why they feel awesome to sing is because they have truth in them. When you sing a song, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That's off of the story where the prophet was on the mountain and they were surrounded by the enemy. And he said, Lord, open his eyes. The servant was freaking out because he saw the enemy. And all of a sudden he saw a, 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 a massive army of fiery angels around him. When you sing that song, it's reminding you of that story, which is the Word of God, which is all the promises of God for you. And God's in a respective persons. They're yes for you, and they're yes for me. So what you do is you take a scripture, 
And you take, you don't have to read the whole Bible. Just read what you need. Read what you need. Don't get, if you're not a big reader, I'm not a big reader. Some of you are, you enjoy reading. If you don't enjoy reading like me, then don't get discouraged. You don't have to read like massive chapters of the Bible if you don't have the time to. Take a scripture that, and that is the truth that battles the lie you're facing. That's why the internet's awesome. Just type in any scripture that concerns that subject and you'll find hundreds of them. Use Google and redeem it for the glory of God. Use it. It's awesome. And you begin to meditate on the Word of God. You take your imagination and now you're marrying, you're marrying your imagination with the Word of God. And what happens is, is now, as the Bible says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And without faith, you can't do anything. You can't worship without faith. You can't believe without faith. You can't fight without faith. You need faith. Faith is the way God sees everything. That's what faith is. Faith faith is the way God sees everything. It's God's perspective. Like a great example of faith. When the disciples were in the boat and the storm comes, everyone else is freaking out, but Jesus is sleeping. Why is he sleeping? He's sleeping because he sees the storm differently than they do. He's not afraid of the storm because he knows that his father is going to keep him safe. That's why he could literally snore in the middle of a massive storm when everyone's freaking saying, we're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping. That's so opposite. The reason is because that's how he sees And faith is the way God sees. But faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Truth. And the Holy Spirit, who's the spirit of truth, wants to read the word of God with us. So you invite him in. You say, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here with me. Help me understand this. I'm going to memorize it because that's good. But I need you, Holy Spirit, as I'm memorizing it. I need you to write it on the tablet of my heart and change the way I live. Now, this is the epic thing about meditating on the Word of God. What happens is your idea, your vision about God becomes clearer and clearer. And with every single scripture that you meditate on, it's God, the Holy Spirit, is fashioning another weapon for you to use. Because you've got to fight. Whether you want to or not, you will fight. Or you will be fought. Every day, we're going to wake up with stuff that's going to face us. We're going to face every single day. You might be in a season of victory right now, right now, and that's awesome. But at some point around the corner, the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy will throw a million things at your life. Because we live in a fallen world. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. This is how he overcomes the world. Because the kingdom of God is not coming in any way that can be seen on the outward. The kingdom of God is something that grows in the inside of you. And it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That you can actually live such a different life. He starts changing you. It's The kingdom of God is like a little seed that's planted in your heart and it starts to grow and grow and grow and become the largest of all the trees in the garden and it becomes a life-giving thing and so God wants to 
this presence of God that we feel is for a purpose. It's not just so that we can feel God's presence. That's awesome. It's feeling his presence, knowing him, so that he can plant his word in our heart. You know what this is doing? Right here in this atmosphere of worship, the Holy Spirit's tilling the soil of our heart and making it tender again. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like, it's like a man who scatters seeds and one seed falls on the path and the bird comes and steals the seed. Another seed falls on a rock and it sprouts up a little bit, but because it doesn't have roots, it dies quickly. And another seed falls amongst thorns and it's choked out by the thorns. And then another seed falls on good soil and produces 50, 60, and 100 fold. He said the kingdom of God is like that. So right here in this atmosphere, the Holy Spirit, and you can do this alone in your car. You can do this alone in your bedroom. You don't have to be at church to do this. You are the temple of the living God. And when you lift up your voice, this is the amazing thing that I've been learning, guys, is your voice is a weapon. Oh, it is a weapon. And it is connected to your soul and your heart. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Your voice is a weapon. It's why you have to make a sound when you worship God. Because God didn't speak the whole world into existence by thinking it. God didn't think light and then there was light. God spoke light. And God has placed life and death in your tongue. He's given you the choice because you can't have love if you don't have a choice. So God had to give you a choice and a free will, but his desire is that you would choose him and that you'd be saved and be set free and delivered. And he did everything possible. He's already done it all through Christ Jesus. All we have to do is choose him. Everything else is done. Everything else is done. All we have to do is choose him and believe in him. And know what's awesome? Even if you don't have enough faith to believe, you can ask him for it and he gives it to you. There was a man that came to Jesus. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus still healed his son. He said, will you, will you heal my son if you can? With doubt in his voice. And Jesus said, if I can, don't you believe? And he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And he still healed his son. That's you and I. When everything else is telling us to be silent, Jesus wants us to lift up our voice in worship. Not because we feel like it, but because it's true. Because His truth is greater than a feeling. He wants to grow a knowing in my heart. Not just a feeling, a knowing. That's a deep-rooted by encounters in His presence. A secret history with God that nobody sees and knows. That's alone with Him. And not just, not just singing alone with Him mindlessly, but singing His Word. Thinking His Word. Meditating on His Word. Because from His mouth flows life. And it's really simple. So find those four times of your day where you have this freedom. And it's, it might not be much. It might be five minutes, ten minutes. And you just take a scripture from the Word of God and you can sing it. You can say it. Put your name in the scripture. Sing it. Say it over yourself. Make it personal. 
and you can write it. All those three things are really powerful, and you're doing it with the Holy Spirit. So right now, when we lift our hands across the place to Jesus, the Word of God is God's heart on the paper. Your Bible is God's heart on paper. It's His thoughts and His ways. He made known His works to to the children of Israel, but He made known His ways to Moses. God wants to, to show us His ways, who He is. And He's given us all of His Word. And He's given us His Spirit who helps us understand it and writes it on the tablet of our heart to change the way we think and live. Turn it around for my good, for your glory, Lord. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but who delights in the word of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He shall become like a tree. Planted by the streams of living water, which yields forth fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither nor fade, but in all that he does he'll prosper. Oh, the wicked are not so, but they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Oh, you've made known to be the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever, Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're saved. Yes, they are. Thank you, Jesus. Give us a hunger again for your word, God. Give us a hunger again for your word, Jesus. I'm telling you, you take... 10 scriptures and begin to meditate on them and get them in your spirit you will not recognize yourself in a week I'm telling you it's that fast the word of God is that fast at changing through the Holy Spirit it's that quick of a change it's an immediate change of perspective of your day your day changes your conversations change Everything changes because your thoughts are changing. And he wants to make his word a part of our language, a part of our conversation, a part of our worship and language with him.
lavish the praises of his people. Yes, he does.